Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. And welcome to A Hungry Society. I'm Korsha Wilson, and this is a show where we talk about food, dining, food media, and so much more. Today's guests are chefs David and Tanya Thomas of Ida B's Table in Baltimore. David is a career food professional with more than 25 years of experience in the food world and has been featured in Food & Wine, Style Magazine, The Baltimore Sun, Black Enterprise, Cuisine Noir, and more. Tanya was born and raised in Baltimore and has over two decades of experience in the restaurant industry. She manages the front of the house at Ida B's Table and is responsible for the baked goods and dessert program at the restaurant. David and Tanya share a common bond for the love of food, family, cultural heritage, food sustainability, and strengthening bonds in their community. David and Tanya, welcome to A Hungry Society. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. I'm so happy to have you here. One, because you're both from Maryland. (laughs) You are my first Maryland guest ever. Wow. Shout out to Maryland. Yes. Maryland all the way around today. (laughs) And two, um, you you have this incredible restaurant called Ida B's Table, Hmm. um, which we'll get into the name a little bit more, but it's, it's pretty new, and you both stepped away from it to talk to me today, so I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having us. I appreciate the little break. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk about the inspiration for Ida B's Table. Uh, First of all, the name, um, in case people aren't familiar with um, who it's referencing. Um, Okay, I'll take that one. Um, You know, Ida B. Wells, um, she was, you know, a firebrand. If people who aren't familiar with her, Ida B. Wells... um, was born in the late 1800s, 
um, six months prior to the Emancipation Proclamation. So she was born a slave, but then obviously with the Emancipation Proclamation, they were all freed somewhat. Um, but she you know, grew up, um, I believe, as a teacher, and she saw some businessmen in her community get lynched. And obviously, she was outraged, and she decided to write about it. Um, never, I don't think she ever wanted to be or considered herself as a journalist or as a writer, but I think because of that, it impacted her so badly that she decided to write about it. She kept writing about it. She kept speaking out against injustice and all kinds after that. So mm-hmm. um, that's who she became, and that's how she became known. And it's funny because most people don't know anything about her. Um, the fact that she was one of the founding members of the NAACP escapes most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, I think we had to kind of use that name to bring some light to, especially what's going on in this country right now, um, I think she was the perfect person to kind of be the name behind what we're trying to do. Right, right. And where where you're located in Baltimore, um, can you talk a little bit about that, Tanya? I know you were born and raised yes. in that city. Yes. So, I mean, we're, we're located in downtown Baltimore. We're one block from City Hall, the mayor's office, um, around a lot of court buildings. Um, the building that we're in is actually owned... Um, by the um, Real News Network, which is a very progressive radio station um, out of Canada, but they came to Baltimore seven years ago, um, chose that city specifically for, you know, just to help with, you know, shedding light on some of the issues in the city, and they felt like it was the perfect city to come and help um, report on the happenings there um, without um, any corporate sponsorship or anything so they're, they're non-profit totally donor driven mm-hmm. so that means they can report the news as they see fit as they see it without anyone directing you know how they report the news mm-hmm. um, which was fitting when it came to the restaurant project and they were looking for someone to come into the restaurant and when they had approached David in reference to that and that's how it all tied in and made sense you know mm-hmm. his concept as far as the food um, and them being a news network and tying everything in together and what do you want to name it, was, you know, out of East Table. Mm-hmm. It kind of made sense to, like, reference who would you want to refer to in the name. We had, you know, several single names and everything, but um, it, when that came about, I said, okay, that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, said, I was a little nervous about it, I'll be <laughs> honest. <laughs> you know, because you have to live up. This is someone, you know, this is an icon, you know, not just in our race, but you know, as a woman, and you, we we're gonna have to make sure we live up to that, and we're working hard every day to make sure we do fulfill that. Right. Yeah, it's not easy, but um, yeah, it's a lot yeah. of pressure. Yeah, it it is. certainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but we gotta, we have, like you said, we gotta do it right to pay homage. So, um, I mean, for me, you know, Ida B. Wells, you know, is someone who you, we all you know, try to be mm-hmm. um, as an activist, just as a person, um, be willing to speak out against injustice. You know, and that, how that translated into food for me is being honest about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I've, you know, kind of coined it modern soul food. Um, because I think if Ida B. Wells was still here, 
she would probably be eating soul food. Mm-hmm. Um, she was an educated woman who, who did a lot of traveling. Um, she actually spent some time in Europe and did some lectures there. So I'm quite sure she had an opportunity to get some really great food. And how would we honor that without standing still? You know, because, you know, traditionally we, African-Americans, we still eat the same things. We still mm-hmm. eat mac and cheese and collard greens and fried chicken. Um, but what's the next step? What's the evolution of that food? I mean, we can go all the way back to, you know, what we call slave food, um, the foundings of this country, the food, the true cuisine of this country was built on the backs of slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you call it? Cajun Creole, Southern barbecue. Um, and you get into, you know, the late 60s where the, the black power movement started up. And then we started calling it soul food. Um, and we kind of stopped right there. Mm-hmm. There was no change or um, pattern or progression and when we started thinking about this concept I wanted I wanted us to be able to be proud of that but keep moving forward at the same time and I don't think soul food gets the best representation in terms of um, how it's plated what it looks like we all know it tastes great Um, and it's all considered comfort food but sometimes it's like a double-edged sword when you call something comfort. It tastes great, but, you know, it's not really fitting for this, you know, um, this kind of setting. You know, so when I thought about that, you know, I decided, decided to think, okay, in my other restaurant, this is what I was doing. But now I need to take it further. There's a deeper message. Mm-hmm. Um, the history has got to be a big part of it. But modern soul food for me is... You're reaching back while we're moving forward. So, but I actually, um, you have a quote that I found that you said that in order to know where you're going, you have to know where you came from. Yeah. Um, and and does that kind of tie into it too? Talking about the progression of trying to move food a little bit forward. Yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, because I don't want to. And I've done a lot of different things in my career. You know, the gastronomy, making foams, and all that mm-hmm. great stuff. I mean, it looks beautiful on the plate. But I'm about honest food. Um, and I think that's what Ida B. Wells would have kind of stood for, in my opinion. Like I said, that transition. Or how do I translate who she was into a plate of food? It's being honest, telling the truth. And, and I'm not knocking any chef for doing what they do, but I like using local products. I like using organic and all-natural products, mm-hmm. non-GMO products. I think that's honesty. Um, I can trace back the animals that I'm serving. I can talk to the farmers that butchered them. Mm-hmm. That means something to me. I think that's about being honest, not just being transparent, but being honest. And you need to know where your food comes from. So that's what that means to me, too, when mm-hmm. I make the statement. Um Obviously, we need to know what our history is, and that's a big part of what we're trying to do. But being able to trace back those little bits of food that we eat, mm-hmm. I, I think that's meaningful. I mean, to me, it is. And I think our customers, um, at least most of them, appreciate that. So. I think we see that in uh, food, food culture right now. Mm-hmm. There is this movement back towards, you know, away from the foams and the molecular gastronomy mm-hmm. of mm-hmm 
however long ago, even though it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and back to wanting to know where our ingredients are coming from. Right. And you, you both do work with an organization called Days of Taste. Yes. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, Tanya? Yes. So Days of Taste is a program that actually um, originated, Julia Child started it. Um, and then we have that program in Baltimore where we actually go to um, Baltimore City Schools, Baltimore County Schools. It's like, I, know, I know I said Baltimore is general for people, but it's separated in the counties in Maryland. Um, so I know we're like in five different districts, I think, at this point usually third and fourth graders, where we um, go into the school, and it's three separate days that we go there. And the first day, they actually learn about, um, like, taste. They learn a little about, um, we talk about where the food comes from. We talk about, like, a map is shown, and, you know, this comes from this area of the country and this, and you always want to have as little mileage um, from where your food comes from to you. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty much fitting with the local sustainability um, but the first day, they go through this whole thing, tasting um, and learning about sweet, salty, sour, bitter. Um, the second day, they actually go to a farm. Um, and they have we have several farms in the Maryland area that they work with. So they get to um, see whatever they're producing on their farm, get the taste, you know, tour it. And then the third day, you know, we come back. And we try to be there even at the farm trip. But the third day we come back, and they actually usually they make a salad. You know, at that grade level, they can't cook anything. Right. So you, you can't <laughs> You do don't want to give them a bunch of knives no. and <laughs> tell them to get to work. So yeah. they actually get, we usually do a salad. And most of the time, most of the chefs, and we always make sure whatever was at the farm, we try to incorporate into the salad. It's seasonal. They make their own vinaigrette. And for a lot of the kids nowadays, and, and see, we've seen it over the past four years that we've done this, how kids eat very little vegetables, very mm-hmm. little greens. <laughs> um, it's kind of disheartening to them. You know, a salad is iceberg lettuce. Um, and when we branch out, we're always there with kale. We try to mix it with mescaline, you know, greens or spring mix or something just to ease their palate because when we give them kale to them, it's just like, oh. It's foreign. It's, it mm. is to them. Wow. Um, but it just in, introducing them to other produce as well. I think when we just did it this um, in October, we had watermelon radish. Some of them had never seen watermelon radish before and them tasting mm. it. Um, so, the, I mean, we love the program. It's, it's helping educate the kids on where the food comes from. Most of them are used to supermarkets, and they don't know how the food got to the supermarket. Right. They feel yeah. like it just showed up at the supermarket. <laughs> and it's That's shiny not how it works. and perfect and <laughs> yeah. stacked up. Yeah. But, um, and, but just not only that. Um, and then in Baltimore, we have a lot of food deserts. So then you have some children that don't have access to the fresh produce. Um, that's evolving in Baltimore. There's so many people that's with urban farms and urban gardens now, and they're really trying to do away with that um, to try to help with some of the health issues that are going on in the city. And a lot of it's because they don't have access to fresh produce, fresh foods, very limited. There's no grocery stores, you know, in the community. So um, proud to be a part of the program, always trying to help support it, and we're going to continue to do it as long as we can. That's wonderful. And uh, Chef David, how why is it so important to you to be a part of the program as well? You know, uh, teaching children, um, you know, to get away from, and I'm not going to name those restaurant names, um, but stop from eating fast food. Um, it's killing people. 
you know, obviously you're not going to die immediately if you eat something. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the long-term effects are, are just, they're too great. And I think, especially children in the inner city, I mean, they just don't have the access. And I understand, you know, the parents are working and they don't have time to cook, you know, a really nutritious meal, so to speak. Um, but if they learn, they can see that it really doesn't take a lot of time. Um but we need to change people's habits at the same time. Just Americans in general. We eat far too much meat and less, you know, not enough, you know, green leafy vegetables. And if we can teach these children to balance their diet, I'm not saying only eat lettuce and become a rabbit. I'm just saying that, you know, tamper down how much meat you eat. Stop drinking soda altogether. Um, and just eat a balanced meal. Mm-hmm. And if you show them and you allow them to taste it and they get an understanding that, okay, well, I don't like kale by itself, but if I add a little lemon to it and I add a little salt to it mm-hmm. um, and I add a little maple to it, oh, that's something I can deal with. Mm-hmm. And I'll give it to them however they can eat it. Um, and that's what we try to do. So for me, and these kids go home and then teach their parents because some of their parents don't eat the right way either. And most of them, or a lot of them, don't have, I don't know, the time or the energy to come home and cook, you know, whatever. Um, So they're grabbing whatever fast food is on the way home. And um, that's just not a good way to survive. And I think, for me, it's important for us to teach kids and adults as well to, you know, we've got to change our eating habits. Mm -hmm. That keeps us away from the doctor's office. Um, so that's important for me. And, and as well as, you know, trying to um, groom some more sustainable chefs for the future. You know, I think we need to get away from big agriculture. I mean, I'm talking about as an entire country. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we start with these kids young, get them to understand how important it is to eat close to the source, um, I think we'll be able to do it. So that's why I do it. And you both when I was researching you both you both had very formative um, cooking and uh, not necessarily dining but cooking experiences either watching someone or or being mentored by someone in a restaurant um, can can both of you talk about experiences that shaped you um, in the dining world or in the food world in the restaurant entry mm-hmm. um, you know for me um, I mean I'll one in particular, when I first started in the business, um, um, Kevin Zabonik, who was a uh, um, master chef who worked for a place called White House Caterers in Baltimore County, um, I really just started getting into cooking, and you know, he smacked my hand and showed me, hey, this is how you do it. Um, I learned a lot from him, um, just the introduction of food and what professional cooking looked like. And then I went on, he gave me a recommendation to work somewhere else, and I just kept moving from there. But what really ultimately shaped me, I went to work for um, Chef Galen Sampson. He owned a restaurant called The Dogwood in Hamden. And he was the first, if I'm not mistaken, farm-to-table restaurant Mm -hmm. in Baltimore. Um, And working with him and seeing how he cared for what he was doing and... um, that really took me back to a place that I really hadn't thought about food. And it was really, it made me think about my grandmother and how I used to see her, you know, butchering and slaughtering and 
going out in the garden and picking and mm-hmm. you know foraging herself. Um, so those are the things that really shaped my my belief and my world in food. So. And what about you, Tanya? <laughs> well, that's funny. I mean, he's pretty much referencing the same chef. We we actually work in the same restaurant. Um, but other than than Galen, um, with me in the restaurant industry, it, w- it was actually a gentleman that was known in Baltimore. Um, he had a restaurant called Mardix. Um, I worked with him for only six months. And at the time that I worked with him, he was like 84 years old and had been doing it like all his life. Mm. Um, in the short time that I worked with him, I had learned so much. Um, he did like um, what you called uh, uh, low country French cooking. Yeah, low country French. Yeah. And it just the bouillabaisse and how he did his pork chops and it just it, everything, even his bread pudding. And he actually was the one who taught me to make profiteroles <laughs> when it came to bacon. That was my first pot of shoe, um, and I've been making it ever since because of him. Um, so it's just. They they were definitely Mr. Mardick, Mars Mardick, and Galen Sampson were the ones that influenced me in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. And did you you both met working in a restaurant? No, no. <laughs> Wait, so you worked in the same restaurant, but you didn't meet there? No, we met no, no, years we were, before that. We've yeah. been married for twenty five. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we've been married for a long time. <laughs> so we actually met years ago in a whole different. We weren't even in the restaurant industry. He was, but I hadn't really delved in that. We actually met in retail. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was his boss. So. <laughs> she still I is. Had <laughs> she still is. <laughs> just yeah. had to put that in there. I just yeah. had to put that in there. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll be right back uh, with more Hungry Society after this. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. All right, so we're back with more Hungry Society and Tanya and David Thomas of Ida B's Table in Baltimore. Um, so a little bit of a controversial question here. Is Maryland the South? Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Um, in New York we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. true. If you ask anybody, you know, <laughs> north of uh, Maryland, 
yes, we're Southern. And if you ask anybody like, south no. of Maryland, like, no. we're Northern. It's like you know, we're so. a stepchild. We're, I mean, yeah. Maryland's the Mason-Dixon line. We're, we're it's, right, that's so. true. Yeah. It's technically we're, yeah. we're right south the of the Mason-Dixon. Yeah. 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 Um, I think culturally, like north of D.C., maybe not. But definitely once you get south of D.C., mm-hmm. it, it is it feels southern, at least. Yeah, I mean, but you know, keep in mind if you if you put it in um, in the context of the slave trade, mm-hmm. you know, the first slaves that came to this country came through Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. typically, you know, when you think of the slave trade, it is thought about the South. So if you keep it in that context, and certainly Maryland is Southern, um, and when they were fleeing from the South, they didn't stop in Maryland. They went to Pennsylvania, which is north of Maryland. So mm-hmm. there you have it. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, so there's been this like this uh, breakdown between soul food and southern food. Um, can you both talk a little bit about that? Do you have strong feelings about it being called soul food or southern food? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. Um, I mean, I'll put it. Try to put it so people understand. Um, If you look at the difference between Cajun and Creole, okay? So Cajun was really designed in terms of kind of a platform for food for the elites Mm -hmm. in Louisiana. Creole was for those low country, you know, poor people. So that's how Southern and soul food are now viewed. Soul food is for those black poor people. Southern food is for those more affluent white people. And I tell this story, and I guess that's what you know frustrates me and drives me at the same time. Mm-hmm. They come from the same origins, right? You know, whether you call it Cajun Creole, Southern barbecue, soul food, um, it they all come from the same place. They were all created by the same hands, so. Yeah, I have very strong feelings about it. You know, I don't um, knock anybody for attempting to do it. Um, And some people do a really good job at it. Um, But soul food doesn't really just mean collard greens and mac and cheese. Soul food means something that you bring from the past and that heritage that you incorporate into that food. Um, It also comes from a place of pain. We didn't eat awful. We didn't eat pig's feet and oxtail because we wanted to. We ate it because we had to. It was about survival. You know, if anyone were given, you know, the choice between a Delmonico cut and, you know, some pig intestines, I'm almost certain 99.9% are going to go for that steak. Right. Um, But that... Slaves didn't have that choice. So we have been learned and we've been trained to do the best with what we have. That's soul food. Mm -hmm. You know, you make the most incredible tasting food out of the scraps that people throw away. Mm -hmm. That's soul food. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very cliche now, this whole, whole hog and whole animal cooking and, you know, don't waste any part of the animal. They call it, you know, from the... To the rooter to the tuta is what we always <laughs> to say, um, but it's you know the from the snout to the tail cooking. Mm-hmm. People have been doing that. Yeah, for, that's how we yeah. survived. Right, right. You know, we've always eaten pig feet. 
and the snout and the brains. Mm -hmm. We ate whatever the master threw out of scraps. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how we survived. We were the foragers, the hunters. Mm -hmm. You know, we were the ones out there chasing the rabbits and squirrels um, so that we could survive because we needed a little protein. Um, Now that stuff is, you know, in the trendiest restaurants around the world. Mm -hmm. But it's how we survived, you know. So this whole idea about modern soul food, Ida B's table, why it's important to me is because it's about us reclaiming our heritage, Mm -hmm. reclaiming what we started. um, And we should be in the forefront of telling that narrative. So the language thing is so interesting. Um, I worked at a restaurant where they told us not to say pig's feet at a table. They told us to say trotters. Yes, pig's trotters. And I was like, you mean pig's feet? I was like, what are trotters? And I was like, oh, they mean feet. They mean pig's feet, but they don't want me to say that at a table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the language thing is so important, especially when it comes to soul and Southern food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's what's more acceptable. Yeah, I mean, in another reason why it's important because you, it's not just about not saying pig's feet and saying trotters. It's about denying a part of the history, mm. um, the suffering that came behind that. A lot of that has to do, you know we're in a climate nowadays, we want to deny everything. What's fact, what's real, we want to deny that. So if we can alienate those who want to tell the truth about that, and that's what you get. You get a watered down version, and I'm not about allow, I'm not about to let that happen. Um, <laughs> I think what we're doing is um, is important work, but it's mm-hmm. more so than just food. It's about us telling and reclaiming the narrative. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do it, um, we're gonna fall into the trap like we have with a lot of our history. We're gonna allow somebody else to tell us about us to tell the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about Baltimore a little bit. Um, can we talk? Can you talk about Baltimore's dining culture? How it is today since you're now a, a part of it, or you have been for a while, but Ida B's table is now a part of it. So I mean, the di- it's, it's evolving. Um, you know, Baltimore still has you know it's things that they're used to eating. Um, Old Bay. <laughs> yes. we can't you know deny the old bay. Bay. Oh, I, I love old bay. I put old bay on everything, <laughs> and that's and that's about the crabs, crab cakes. But the, you know the the food is evolving. You have a lot more cultures just bringing in their cuisine. Um, so and and I know that it's kind of it's helping to put Baltimore on the map more now, um, and we're proud to be a part of that. Just having the restaurant <clears throat> out of bees table there and what we're trying to do with soul food um it's you know baltimore we have you know a lot of places there that this just sell it but it's not um in a setting as what we've set up with out of these table and i i'm happy that the the community there has embraced that you know when they come in they're just so happy that they can come in and dine and then the experience that they're giving the atmosphere the service everything that we want to do and presenting soul food in the light that we felt like it should be mm-hmm. that it always should be it's just like any other cuisine it should be embraced and appreciated and and respected is pretty much what we were shooting for and I think we're accomplishing that and being a part of that evolution oops, evolution of Baltimore's um, you know the restaurant scene the dining scene there so um, but you have that and you know some the uh, 
trying to think what other <laughs> the restaurants yeah the mm-hmm. restaurants that... I mean you have a lot of you know rest not a lot but I mean there are a few restaurants um, I think that are going to be um, the start or becoming the start of this movement um, in terms of turning Baltimore into a food city mm-hmm. you know Baltimore is a working class city and it's a very small city so people have been eating the same things for a long time you know, we're known for crabs in Baltimore. So it's like a, a rite of passage. If you come to Baltimore, you got to eat a crab cake. You know, and if it's summertime, you got to have steamed crabs. Um, so a lot of the dining in Baltimore revolves around that and has been for a long time. But now you have other influences coming in um, and it's slowly changing. And I think, you know, I was talking to, um, if I should say her name or not, but... Um, Tony Tipton Martin happened to be mm. in our restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, you know, Baltimore has been discussed, you know, about this food scene that's coming in Baltimore. So for someone who like that, I mean, who, who travels the country, right. Um, right. to know that Baltimore is, you know, coming into its own, it says a lot. You know, I think we're not there yet, but I mean, I think we're getting there. There's a lot of different places that, you know, we're doing something just a little different. And that's what we need. Um, obviously, we're not a New York who has, you know, some of the best chefs in the country who come here, they start here, they stay here. Um, and then some of them travel a little farther south to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's when you get a little more recognition when those notable chefs come and do a pop-up or open up something in Baltimore. And, you know, now we're, you know, beginning of a food revolution in, mm-hmm. in Maryland. Yeah, and that's very fitting with the the name of your restaurant. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, you know, it's good for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, modern soul food for me is it's more than about food. So I'm hoping that people will embrace the history along with the food. Um, but yeah, you know, I think we are we're in the right place at the right time um, for a number of different reasons. Um, and it's just our, it's our time to tell the narrative, um, to reclaim our history and, and to elevate it. And mm-hmm. Jessica B. Harris wouldn't be happy with me saying elevated, but yes, she, um, would. she said it doesn't need to be elevated. It need That's to be what elevated. she said. Yeah. It needs to be presented, which is why I said the presentation, the service, yeah. the atmosphere. Presented, yeah. not elevated. Uh, not elevated. Not elevated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, and she's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And I had a chance to meet her when we were at the book fair in New York. Um, a few months ago, and I got a chance to speak to her, um, and I, you know, very stupidly said, "Hey, you know, I'm going to open up this restaurant, and I'm going to elevate soul food." And she looked at me like, "What makes you think soul food needs to be elevated?" <laughs> so yeah, I shut like, up really oh. quickly and tried to process that, and I said, "You're absolutely right. <laughs> it doesn't need to be elevated." And you know, when I had time to think about it, she is absolutely mm-hmm. right. It doesn't need to be elevated. It's great food. Mm-hmm. We have got to be proud of what we do. And that's what she said to me, or that's what I took away from it. Mm-hmm. We've got to be proud of what we do mm-hmm. um, because everybody else loves it. Right. Everybody loves fried chicken. Well, I think the, the word you used earlier, like progression, mm-hmm. um, yeah. is, is a little more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it absolutely more. right. It needs to, everything's got to evolve. Exactly. You know, um, and I think that's what I'm trying to do now is just, you know, expand you know, what we've always done. And, you know, I'm still using the same ingredients. Mm. You know, it's just, um, 
you know, now it's, you know, pork belly is, you know, something and it's supposed to be really special. But it's the same stuff that we were using years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. But now it's, you know, you know, this very special, unique item. So, right. you know, I'm, I, that's why I, I always reference going back and moving forward because we're still doing and using those same things, maybe a slightly different technique and presentation, but I'm still trying to achieve the same flavors. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still want good fried chicken. <laughs> you know, right. I still want good mac and cheese. <laughs> right. You know, I still want some good greens. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm still chasing those recipes of my grandmother and my wife. Um, if she makes an incredible mac and cheese. Um, <laughs> You know, so I'm chasing these when I'm tasting and creating. Although I'm trying to move it forward, I'm still reaching back to get it. Mm. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's what it's about for me. That you got to do something that has some heart to it. And we're trying our best there. We're trying our best there. So Um, so I have some questions that I ask every guest. Um, you, You don't have to name names, but can you talk about... One of your worst dining experiences that you've had. I'll Why let you, you take that me? one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tanya, one. this is you, apparently. Is, no, I, okay, I know. <laughs> Just don't name any names. Or no you can names. if you want no, to. No, I don't need to name names. This is the hard thing about saying that, because I'm really trying to think one of the worst. I mean, it's not saying that we didn't have bad experiences, but it wasn't, it's not even a place that I would even want to discuss. When we do dine out, I work so hard to pick a place that I know he will not be disappointed because <laughs> <laughs> I can't deal, and I don't want to be disappointed in. But most of our worst dining experiences, unfortunately, have been when, when we let my parents pick. <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I, oh. I, just for yeah, the yeah, you can't I'm sorry. say that. I'm she sorry, can say that. Oh, I can say that. You'll sorry. be in a lot of trouble yes. if you say that. No, sorry, but yeah, well, they picked it because they don't always pick great places. <laughs> um, and it's usually just the, the food is not up to what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and the service could be great, but the food is just, it's just, it's just regular. <laughs> Pedestrian. <laughs> Pedestrian, his favorite word. There you go. <laughs> you know, which is why when we do choose, you know, and take my parents out, we always try to expose them. And, you know, something like he discussed, you know, they're, they're of an older generation and they're used to what they're used to. Mm-hmm. So they always eat the same things unless we say, try this, and then they try it, and then they like it. Mm-hmm. But it's not something they would think of. So, yeah, the worst dining experience, it's been several places, but it's usually <laughs> places that they always pick. Do you but, have a, a favorite restaurant at the moment, like when you're not working at your restaurant? We have several. It depends on what we're yeah, in the Yeah, because it really depends on what you're in the mood for. Like, um, like a, I know if he said, we just want something casual mm-hmm. just just going out to chill in baltimore it's a place called clavel i know you yeah. want to say that it's actually uh all i can say is beef tongue taco oh wow <laughs> oh, it's that life changing really that's like one of the life best changing things. yeah um, yeah. um clavel um let's see as far as um, our boy stevie um and ekaben they have this um uh, tempered broccoli mm. that is out of this world. Yeah. Light, you know, this vinegary and shallot sauce. It's it's 
delicious. And so, the other place, Black Sauce Kitchen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, those are the, I mean, we just, oh, God. We're simple. You know, yeah. we like we just good, good food. food. I mean. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to have, you know, foie gras and foam and caviar on everything. It's just, uh, mm-hmm. just got to be just well done. That's it. Just do it well. But let's, if we wanted to go someplace and splurge, not splurge, but. Like travel and it's actually just going to DC and yeah, the yeah, dad, DC's the got dad. some really good food down there as well. Mm-hmm. I know you know you've been down there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I grew up outside of DC, mm-hmm. um, and the the restaurant scene there I feel like is similar, where it's just yeah, it keeps getting bigger mm-hmm. and bigger mm-hmm. every single year. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, and I, and I try to seek out. We try to seek out restaurants that adhere to our philosophy in mm-hmm. terms of local, local sustainability. sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make sense for me to preach what I do and then go out and eat. You and know, support a restaurant some, that doesn't yeah, do it. Big agriculture. It just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a couple of restaurants in D.C., um, one in particular that we um, really love, the Dabney. Um, I actually have one. not been to the Dabney oh. yet, and every person I know that has been there is like, you have yeah, to you go. Gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> you got to go. You have to go. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> we're dying to go yeah. back. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. here, t- we're here um, till tomorrow, so we have... Reservations at the um, Homestead tonight. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about eating there tonight. You have to let me know how that is. Certainly yeah. will. Um, so my last question for you. Um, if you could have your last meal in a restaurant, where would it be and who's invited? Wow. Does it have to be in a restaurant? <laughs> it doesn't have to be. It can okay. be wherever, wherever you want. <clears throat> well, for me, because I, I know exactly what I want to do. Um, for me, it would be, you know, maybe... Out in the middle of a farm, late spring, early summer, about seventy-five degrees. You, have... you were the first guest to give me a temperature because oh. it can't be too hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it just can't be too hot. Um, you know, I want my my wife, obviously, my grandmother. Um, I would want probably. Um, let's see. I'd probably want um, Galen Sampson there. I would want um, probably Dr. Jessica B. Harris just because of her conversation. Um, I would also want uh, my guy from um, who runs, um, is it the Blue, uh, up in New York, up in upstate? Dan Barber. Dan Barber. Uh, Just because his philosophy about food is, you know, kind of what drives me. Um. Yeah, people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you eating? What's the menu? Oh wow! I mean, all <laughs> wild stuff, you know. So like pheasant and mm-hmm. like muskrat, squirrel, muskrat. Yeah, you know, we used to eat possum. Yeah, I mean, they're one and the same. I mean, they're different animals. In Waldorf, but... people still eat possum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to get possum for my grand opening, couldn't get it. Mm. Um. <laughs> she says, mm. no, yeah. That might be for that might be for the best that you didn't. It was probably a good thing that I didn't yeah. get pasta. Maybe you want to start with possum. You're probably right. Um, but yeah, you know, stuff like that. Um, simple, some fresh vegetables. You know, some great wine. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, um, but it's about the food and the conversation and learning something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then yeah, that would be it for me. I just don't know what other, you know. I don't know who else I could invite. I'm sure you probably have a. <laughs> and what about you, Tanya? <laughs> I know I'm just sitting up here thinking, like, you know. Well, it's funny, and I, I don't want people to say she just said that just because, but that's not. 
we actually went to New Orleans once, and I, I we just because of time constraints, we didn't get to go to Dookie Chase's. Mm. And I, I would love to have dinner there. It's funny, I would want my family around me. It's always You always have to have your family around me. Um, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, it's like so much that I wish at the time that they passed that I didn't ask them because I wasn't at an age to, to get to so much more information. Um, would love to have Leah Chase there, of course, Edna Lewis. Oh, this thing yeah. of people that I've just been following so much now. And Nikki Giovanni. <laughs> That's been a my good favorite, my favorite poet a good list. since I was in elementary school. You wouldn't Definitely. get to eat anything. No, I wouldn't. I'd <laughs> be, be talking, talking the whole time. time. <laughs> Definitely have to have all the food that my mom always talk, talked about that my great-grandmother did. She made these um, open-faced dinner rolls. She used to make mm. her own root beer. It's like I have to have everything that she talked about that I didn't get to experience. Yeah, you know, because, biscuits. Yeah, all of mm. that stuff. Mm. That, you know, and, and my grandmother's fried chicken. The two this day is all still one of the. I mean, my husband makes good fried chicken. <laughs> I'm not gonna this guy was, but my grandmother's like one of the best that she made in that cast iron skillet, and I still remember that. I was mm-hmm. like, I have to have that. Yeah, so definitely food from my childhood that I still that inspires me now. You know, even though he does a lot of the savory cooking, and I'm the, the but the bacon comes from what I remember being around my grandmother and my great grandmother. Mm. Well, definitely wow. have to have that. <laughs> these are, that these are that two table. dinners. These are great. <laughs> I would love to come to. Either and you're one. invited. Oh, am I invited? You're invited. Wow, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for coming thank for taking you. time out from you. I'm not, I know you're both busy in Baltimore, so I right. really appreciate it. We appreciate the opportunity. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Hungry Society. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.